Now, you may not know this because you're not a farming community. We're not a farming community, but I've lived in farming communities before. And when the harvest is ripe, it doesn't stay that way long. You know, it just doesn't stay on the plant forever. You have to pick it off. Why? What happens if you don't pick it? If you don't harvest it, it will rot. And what God isn't talking about is food. And what he isn't talking about is grain. He's talking about people. And there are opportunities right now. The harvest is plentiful. There are people out there who are ready to hear Jesus Christ, to hear about him. But no one's there. No one's saying anything. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. Thanks for listening. I apologize that this episode is coming out a few days late. Uh, I was on vacation with my wife for the last few days and just got back in the office today. So here it is. This is the, the nature of a weekly podcast. But at any rate, it's here. Thank you for listening. Um, this week is week number three of our series called This Is Us. In this week's message, Nathan will be talking to us about the code statement, Relentless Pursuit of One More. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. How are you doing today? Some worship was good. I was awesome. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am grateful that you are here. If you are here for the very first time or you've been coming for a couple weeks, this is the best series you could come for. This code, these code statements, they, they tell us who we were, who we are, and who we will be. So it's great to get a big opportunity to see uh, behind the scenes a little bit, but also to understand our heartbeat. And really, that's the point of a code is to capture the heart of Jesus. So when we say you belong and you're new, we mean it. Or if you've been here forever, you belong. To be comfortable in your skin, to be here, you have to have that place so that you can encounter Jesus. So we don't come here to learn about the idea of Jesus, but to experience the person of him. And last week, we talked about that. It was really good that we're each called to encounter Jesus every day. We talked about the story of the Samaritan woman who met with Jesus. And her life, although it was so jacked up, when she met Jesus, everything changed. So much so that someone who was a recluse and wasn't really like respected went to the elders of their city, went to the people in their city and said, look at this person. You've got to know him. Something has changed inside of me. Pastor Daniel did an incredible job. You'll want to go back and check that out. But one of the verses he read, it really sums it up well, said this, these people who experienced the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. These code statements are important because ultimately they help us capture the heart of Jesus. Jesus came to this earth for a purpose and his purpose continues through us. This is us. John 4, 34. We're going to be in three biographies of Jesus that's in this book in the Bible. And so uh, I want you to, you know, pay attention and uh, get ready because it's going to be a good ride. Um, who in here likes to eat? What's wrong with the rest of you? Like, like, uh, you're like this is a big deal. I, I want to talk. Jesus starts talking about, like, the food he likes. So I, I thought that was really interesting. John 4, 34 says this. My food, said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Wow, that's a cool statement. Like Jesus feeds on doing the will of God. Like I I love that idea. It's kind of like gritty. And really I took it to the next level and realized that when Jesus is hungry, 
He wants to do the will of God. That's awesome. Jesus was hungry to do the will of God. I'm hungry most of the time for a bacon cheeseburger, amen? Like, like, but can you imagine? You know that when you get real hungry? You know that feeling where it feels like your stomach's eating itself? Can you imagine that Jesus' heart, that he was hungry to do the will of God? And he did that over and over again in his actions, but he told stories to help us become hungry. He told stories about a hundred sheep and one went missing and how a shepherd left the 99 and went after the one, that they pursued that one and brought it back. And when he came back, he just celebrated, celebrated everything. Like, this is great, we lost the one that was lost was found told a story about a terrible son who like like basically like ruined the community like spit in the face of his father and left and when he came back instead of shunning him the community engaged him and celebrated him this celebration of what was lost is found another story of a woman who lost a coin and this coin meant so much and she searched over and over and finally found it and celebrated this idea that we rejoice over the things that were lost being found. Even on the cross, he pleaded with God to forgive the people who had pierced his hands and feet, who had whipped him, and who would eventually kill him. He pleaded for them to the very end and looked to his right and left and tried to engage the thief and the people next to him and said one of them would be with him in heaven. He pursued people to the very end because Jesus' heart for them, Jesus' heart for me, Jesus' heart for you. Oh, man, Jesus' heart for us is relentless, relentless. You like that word? You ever heard relentless? It's, it's a great word. In the dictionary, it means oppressively constant, incessant. It's this idea that it, it, just, it just never stops. In fact, I like to call relentless, the way to ex explain it is never stop, never stopping. The grammar people in the room are like, you can't do that. I can do whatever I want. I have a mic. But it's this idea of like never stop, never stopping. We're not going to stop. We're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep moving forward. Jesus' heart for us was relentless. Jesus never stopped loving you, and he never stopped going after people. This is incredible. I, I want to show you um, something um, interesting. These are chairs. Did you get all that? Okay, sweet. These are chairs. And these are actually some of the first possessions of Life Church. See, we didn't always have a building. We went from every elementary you can name in this area, it seems like. And we would take these chairs with us in a trailer. Um, sometimes the trailer would get, you know, on icy roads would mess up. But every time, every Sunday, we would open it up, set them out, and then we'd pick them up again. And then we would set them out again. And then we would pick them up the next Sunday and do it at again for years and years and years and years and years. Like, it's a lot. And this chair, it's, been, it's got a lot of abuse on it. It's like rusted and all messed up. Have you guys ever sat in these chairs like before, like chairs, folding chairs? Are they as comfortable as the seat you are in right now? No, like I love this one. This one has like a little pad on that. Do you see that little pad? It's about a quarter of an inch thick and it just hints at comfort. Like you sit at it for like five minutes and it doesn't matter anymore. Like it, it's, it's trying, okay? <laughs> I want to show you another one of our chairs. And this one, um, this one's been through a lot. <laughs> this one is a, um, hold on. Oh my gosh. Uh, messed up, man. I don't know what's going on with this chair. Like, it, it has been through it. I feel like we had a WWE match and someone just like racked someone across the face with it. Like, these chairs, 
some of the first things we've had, and they mean something to us. They mean something to us. You look at them, and they're kind of ratty, right? But they signify something far greater. We're talking about culture. We're talking about what makes us us, this unique voice that, that Jesus has given us for 17 years, you know, what, what he has placed in us. And these, they signify something. They're like little artifacts, right, of our culture of the past. They, were, they remind us of something. They symbolize our heart. And I just want to leave them out here for you. I mean, these things have been through some stuff, like the stories they could tell. I mean, I can't even calculate how many butts have sat in these chairs, but they mean something. I'm just going to leave them up there for a little bit, but it's important for us to capture Jesus' heart. And I want to read the verse that happens right after what I just already read about Jesus being hungry. He says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. In some of the other biographies, it says, pray, pray, because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that God would more, send more workers to the field. Now, you may not know this because you're not a farming community. We're not a farming community, but I've lived in farming communities before. And when the harvest is ripe, it doesn't stay that way long. You know, it just doesn't stay on the plant forever. You have to pick it off. Why? What happens if you don't pick it? If you don't harvest it, it will rot. And what God isn't talking about is food. And what he isn't talking about is grain. He's talking about people. And there are opportunities right now. The harvest is plentiful. There are people out there who are ready to hear Jesus Christ, to hear about him. But no one's there. No one's saying anything. And the reality is, if you wait too long, it rots and falls off the vine. We have people dying on the vine because no one is speaking to them. Listen, this is so important. If we miss this, if we miss this, we will miss the heart of Jesus. And if we lose the heart of Jesus, we are lost. If we lose the heart of Jesus that beat in his chest, we are lost. So I want to look at the relentless heart of Jesus in a story you may have heard before, but it's going to be in Luke, Luke 8. And if you're there, I encourage you, go ahead and move towards Luke 8. If you have your Bible, one of these paper things that I'm holding in my hands, great. If you have your phone, open up Luke 8. We're going to put the uh, relevant verses that we're going to talk about, but I can't cover everything. So this is great to follow along with me. But there's the story where he's in the midst of ministry and something amazing happens. So Luke 8, 22, picking up in verse 22, the relentless heart of Jesus. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. Now, this is abrupt. This one day, this way that this is introduced, is, it's signifying something important. One day, in the midst of ministry, in the midst of things happening, in the midst of telling these great stories and doing great things, he says, okay, guys, let's go across the lake. Now, this isn't a lake like we have. It's like a great lake. Like, it's a big old lake, and going across is an ordeal. And the disciples, they just go. That's awesome. I love it. The disciples go. 
This is important. Many of us stop here. We stop at the command of Jesus. We learn that Jesus has called us to do something, and we kind of stop there. Well, we don't really stop there. We memorize the command. We put it on a mug. We acknowledge the etymology of the word go. We even have a six-word Bible study on it. We have an Instagram post about how we're supposed to go, and we stay on the shore. We don't move. See, the Bible, the Word of God wasn't meant for us to just hear. It was meant for us to do. And so we, we really rag on the disciples a lot. Like, they're dumb. They're so stupid. I think they're a little quicker than we are. And I just wanted to show that they did something incredible. They just went. Why? Because something was important. There was something that Jesus had in mind that they needed to go about and doing. It wasn't a joy ride. There was purpose. Verse 23. So as they sailed, he fell asleep, he being Jesus. A squall or a storm came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. They're about to die. The disciples went and woke him. He was still asleep saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Any in here uh, uh, like a heavy sleeper? Anyone in here raise your hand if a heavy sleeper? You sleeping through that? I don't think so. What kind of peace do you have to have for your boat to be sinking? Like, that is incredible. It's so important to, to realize that Jesus was so confident that he was just sleeping. I wonder if he would slept right through it. But Jesus is sleeping, and they're freaking out. And this cued me in right away to something that's true about Jesus. One, he is relentless, but he's relentless despite the storm. Everybody in here say relentless. Oh, that was terrible. That was terrible. You guys have been awake for a while. Let's try that again. Everybody in here say relentless. Oh, much better. It was relentless despite the storm. Here's the thing. Jesus knew the storm was coming. You're going to find out later that he had a plan. He knew the storm was coming at that moment. He chose that moment, and we'll see why, but there was a purpose behind it, and nothing was going to get in his way. He took it in stride so much, he was asleep. He knew his purpose. He was hungry to do the will of God, and storms come. Storms come in our lives. They do, and it's, it, it's not something that you ever do. It's not your fault. Sometimes you break a bone or break a hip or get a disease that changes your life forever. Or mental illness starts creeping into your life or into your kid's life or into your parent's life. It just happens. Or there's a breaking of relationships and there's conflict and, and there's storms that come in life. But there are storms that come when you follow Jesus. See, the disciples were in the storm because Jesus told them to go. And when we go, there are storms that come. They are. Listen, if you're trying to be faithful with the use of your time, your talent, and treasure, storms are going to come that are going to try to keep you from doing that, to lose sight if you're trying to adjust the way that you steward, the way that you spend your money so that you can become generous and do what God has called you to do, issues will come up. You'll start doing what God called you to do, and then your washer and your dryer and your furnace will break and your Chevy will break, because that's what Chevys do. Just kidding. I've never had a Chevy break on me, but I have had Fords break on me. I'm just... Because cars break, guys. It doesn't mean it's bad. Calm down. Your Ford break. No car or Ford of mine is ever broken. That's just not true. But often when we are obedient to God, storms come. Well, Jesus was relentless despite the storm, and we must be relentless no matter what storm comes. Everybody here, say relentless however you want to. Say relentless. relentless. It's good. It's good. Now, we don't get to, we can't cover this, but what happens next, 
is Jesus gets woken up and he tells the storm, what's up? Literally calms the waves with his words. Not good? I worked on that a lot. You didn't like the alliteration there? Okay, woke up, what's up, waves, words. Okay, scratch that. Apparently it wasn't that good. But he tells the waves to calm down, and we don't have time to talk about that powerful stuff. He's just like, guys, calm down. He looks at the disciples like, you have little faith. And I'm like, little faith? Come on, man. It's a big old storm. Anyways, moving on to what's most important, verse 26. For today, this is what we need to focus on. So they continued sailing, and they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town, For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. This is nuts. Two things. When he stepped ashore, right? Right when he stands ashore, out comes a naked man coming to Jesus. He hasn't like shaved or done his hair in years, and he smells like death because he lives in the tombs. This is crazy. Imagine for yourself that this happened to you. You're like driving around and then you go to Target for whatever you buy in Target, I don't know, and you get out and all of a sudden a naked man with long hair who smells like death is running at you. What do you do? Someone's like, I got concealed carry. I'm good to go. Other people were like, I need to rethink my thoughts on gun control because I don't have that. It's political, don't worry about it. I'm just joking, right? Some of you freak out, soil yourself. Some people are like, I'm gonna fight you. I'd probably like go scream, stranger danger, stranger danger, and like run around the car because I don't know what I would do. When a naked man runs at you, things are not good, right? Like this is not the way it's supposed to be. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't. Listen, this, oh gosh, you could miss this if you're reading too fast. Let's look and see what he does. 28. When he saw Jesus, the naked man who had demons in him, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, don't torture me. These are demons. They know who Jesus is. This man didn't know who Jesus was. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. A couple of distinct things here. One, the demon man was waiting on him. This demon man was there waiting on him. This was not a chance encounter. This was a divine encounter. There was a purpose in why Jesus came across. And you can miss it right there. Look at the verse right there. Because when Jesus stepped ashore, the man came. And then what did Jesus do? It's out of order here, but the order of what happened is he stepped ashore and he commanded the demons. Then the man responded. See, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly who he was coming for. Second thing to note is that these were Gentiles. They're not Jewish people. Most of Jesus' ministry focused on the Jewish people, but this moment he stepped out of what was to go after this man because everyone belongs to Jesus. Everyone belongs to Jesus, and when you encounter Jesus, your world is rocked. Now listen about this man. This man, he was so messed up that he would break chains and guards couldn't keep him down. And so the demon drove him away. And that's what happened. He drove him into a solitary place. The community had no answer for this affliction. The community could not help 
him. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus was relentless despite the demons. He was relentless despite the demons. You hear that this man's name was legion, meaning many demons, multiple oppressions, very visible possession that was going on. And I want you to know that I believe in demonic oppression where they attack from the outside and they, you know, whisper things. And then I believe in possession, meaning that for those who don't know Jesus Christ, they can have some kind of control over your life. Too many of my pastor brothers in Africa and other countries have told me the reality for them every day that this happens. And my own personal experiences have shown this to be true. Those happen today. But we can disconnect from that because that seems so far away from us. But we have issues today that are rampant, that are growing, that people refer to as their demons. But don't get it twisted. They are different things. But these things that they refer to are mental illnesses, bipolar, anxiety, OCD, suicidal thoughts, depression. These are rising. In fact, a pastor in our community in America, well, advocate of suicide awareness, someone who fought for it and who acknowledged his struggle, this last week performed a funeral of a woman who had committed suicide and then afterwards took his own life. This is huge. The struggle of this man who was trying to do what God called him to do and yet succumbed to illness addictions. These things that we have today are real. And they can be something we're afraid of, but Jesus was never afraid to engage the demons, the dirty and the disturbed, the depressed, the derelicts, the delinquents, the downtrodden, the undeserving, the detestable, the damned. He never flinched because Jesus was relentless despite the demons. Jesus was relentless no matter who you are. He comes after you. And so we must be relentless. Despite any affliction, anything that's going on, we have to go after these people who are just like us. And so I need to ask you some hard questions, and I asked them of myself, and I didn't always like the answer. And so I know these will be tough. But ask yourself this Do you shy away from those who are hurting? Do you shy away or avoid the people who are hard? Do you make excuses as to why they deserve what they have received first? Do you see people as labels, not as persons? Hard question. I don't know if you've ever heard this term before. I've heard it a lot. It's called EGR, extra grace required. It's a churchy word. Anyone heard that before? Would you refer to people who are difficult as, oh, that's a person who's extra grace required? right? Like they need extra grace. And it's always kind of bothered me. And I haven't been able to put my finger on it, that idea. And, and um, I, I did this week. See, when you say extra grace required, you are saying something pretty profound and not something that I think is accurate. When I say extra grace required for a person, I'm inferring that certain people are harder to deal with. And so they need more grace than I do. As if there is a payment of grace that could be higher or more necessary for those who act differently than me. This is not understanding what grace is. It makes someone else's idiosyncrasies and struggles and illnesses and addictions and problems worse than my own. And it creates a scale of grace. And that is not true. 
Jesus treated each of us with grace. He treated us equally. Why? He actually humbled himself because he loved us, and we don't get to determine how much grace other people need. See, our attitude when we interact with people who are difficult in our minds, because guess what? Ask your spouse. You're difficult to them. No amen. So, oh my gosh, two people laughing, and the other ones are like, <laughs> right? See, it's not that extra, extra grace is required for them. It's more like extra humility is required of me. Mm, we often forget our place in this process of grace. We're so quick to rank people, right? As if <laughs> any of us are much better than the other. See, that's why we say you belong. Because there isn't some square where if you meet these requirements, you're in and if you don't, you're out. You belong so that you can encounter Jesus. Everybody in here say, relentless. relentless. See, you as a church, we're not going to let this go. We're blessed by having Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights. Yeah, that's right. You're excited. These are people who are experiencing grace. And what happens on Monday nights, people with hurts, hangups, addictions, uh, suicidal thoughts, depression, anything you can possibly imagine where they feel like they're the people who are on the outside, they are welcomed in and given grace. That's a great place for you. Most people wait 10 years to acknowledge that they have mental illness, and that's 10 years too long. And so we're going to even go farther than that. And what I'd love to tell you right now, and oh, I'm going to tell you this right now, is that we are going to be engaging in mental health training for our leaders as we expand our ability to recognize, help, and love people who are in that. Yes. It's, it's past time. It's past time. We're going to be training people to basically be the CPR for mental illness until we can get them the help that they truly need. It's time because we'll be relentless for those who are dealing with their demons. So what happens? Well, this man, he gets transformed. It's so awesome. There's this back and forth they don't have time to go through, but the demons are like, send us into the pigs. And Jesus is like, okay, send you into the pigs. And then the pigs, this whole herd of them, goes down into the water and drowns themselves. It's crazy. And all the Jewish people are like, death to pork. And all the people like me are like, so much bacon. So much bacon's gone. At least that's how I read it. I'm like, bacon, no, there's so much bacon. <laughs> Transformation is immediate and intense. But that's not what we're talking about today. 35. <clears throat> and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in a boat and left. Incredible transformation, salvation, but so outside of the understanding of the people who had no hope for this individual that it scared them. Some of, this under, some of you understand this. Your family can't understand the miracle of the change in your life, and so they have rejected it. And I want to give you hope, and you'll see this in the scripture, that that will change. But Jesus was relentless despite rejection. He was relentless despite rejection. An entire city told him to leave. Get out of here. 
I don't even think I understand this until yesterday. Yesterday, I was able to go on this um, trip over all these places in Detroit. There were seven stops, and they had racial tensions, racial connotations. And I stood at the site of a house, or sitting there looking at this house, and why this house was significant. Because back in the day, it was a white neighborhood. And back then, black people could only live in 60 blocks, 60 square blocks of all of Detroit. That's it. And it was all connected. That's where the black people were. But this was a white neighborhood, and a black doctor decided to buy a house in a white neighborhood. And what happened is literally across the street, I could see the house turn around and look across the street is a school, a public school. And what happened is 700 people gathered in this school. And 700 white people, and the topic of conversation is, how do we get rid of this black family? Then the next day, the family moved in, purchased the house, moved in, and four or 500 people showed up outside of their house, screaming at them, throwing bottles and food and bricks. And this went on for two days until someone in the house fired and defended his home, and someone died, and you can read all about it. But what would it be like to have 700 people show up to say you don't belong, to reject you? I don't know what that's like. If you look at the room we're in, we can barely fit about 600 some people in here. Imagine this many people showed up to reject you. And Jesus didn't even flinch. Jesus was relentless despite rejection. Now, this is why I make a big point of this, because I actually think this is the biggest danger, that this is the biggest barrier for us, for us, for our community, that this barrier of being afraid of rejection will cause us to lose the heart of Jesus. Because here's the truth. Many of us let rejection keep us from going after people who don't know Jesus. We're afraid for our jobs. We're afraid for our status. We're afraid for our Facebook. We're afraid for everything. And we are so controlled by that that we have either become afraid or indifferent about the fact that people are dying and are rotting on the vine and they are not going to know Jesus. This is the truth of the biggest issue we have right now. And we aren't going to be a church who's like that. We aren't going to be the 700 people who show up to eject one person. We're going to be the 14, 1,500, however many people who come here who pursue them, who aren't just indifferent when they show up, but they go after them. We go after them and we will not stop because it matters to Jesus, it matters to us. Here's the truth. Some of you have a lot of butts in your mind right now. That's a weird statement to say, I get it. We need a little tension break right there, but but you don't understand, Nathan. But you don't work where I work. But I'm not smart enough to say that. But I want to read a quote from you from Penn and uh, Gillette of Penn and Teller. He's a magician, famous. Most of you know who he is or have heard of him. You'd recognize him, ponytail, one fingernail painted all the time. Sorry. But anyways, he's an atheist. And he had a famous quote in a video interview. And he uses a word proselytize. And I'm going to explain what that means because it's important to understand. What proselytize means is going and helping someone become part of your religion. For our case, it means going and telling people about Jesus and begging them to be part of it. And so he uses this word proselytize. It's a verb. Go out and help people understand. You can do this everyday life. 
And I want to read what he says. It speaks for itself. I've always said that I don't, don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And then he speaks to atheists who don't believe in God too. He takes a pause and says, an atheist who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. Ask this question. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and to not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Why does an atheist understand this and we don't? Because we have become afraid of rejection. Because we have let the storms in our life distract us. Because we have not been obedient and go. This is the greatest barrier. And that's why we have to become relentless. Let's go back to this moment. Jesus says, let's go. Let's go. He goes across the lake and he gets out. And before he can even say anything, he says, be gone, demons. Changes this man's life. And then he gets rejected. And what does he do? He gets back into the boat. And do you know where he goes? Back to where he came from. If you miss this, this is important. Jesus weathered the storm, stood his ground against the demons, and he accepted the rejection of people for one person. For one person. Jesus was relentless for one person. And we will have relentless pursuit of one more. This is us. This is who we are. We will never stop pursuing one more person, one more saved soul, one more high schooler who doesn't know who they are and is cutting themselves. We're going to pursue one more single mom. We're going to pursue one more down and out, ugly, terrible person, person who feels like no one cares about them. We'll go after them because they have value to us. We will pursue one more businessman who has all the success in the world but feels empty inside. One more, one more, one more. We have always made space for more people here. There are people who go on Saturdays to make space for you. There are people who have purchased your chair for you. There are always going to be more, church, more chairs and more things. Why? Because we will be relentless. We will be obstinately, oppressively, incessantly constant in our pursuit of one more. Rockefeller was asked, he's Rockefeller, you guys know who he is. He was one of the richest people in history, arguably the richest person ever. And he was asked by a reporter this question, and he had a famous response. He said, how much money is enough? And do you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Man, that's ugly, right? That's an ugly thing to say, but I like the attitude. 
this gritty idea that it's never, ever going to be enough. So maybe if I changed the question, how many saved people is enough? And the answer always, 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 always for me will be just one more. Just one more. Just give me one more chance. Just give me one more. Everyone say relentless pursuit. <laughs> say it again because I didn't believe you. Say relentless pursuit, relentless pursuit. Of, one more. of one more. This is us. This is who we have always been. This is who will be. Would we be a people who begged God for one more? Would we, our hearts, break like Jesus's did? Would we be the same people? How? This is us. We have to do this. You need to tell people about Jesus. You need to tell people why we did the cross equals love, why we have ability for us to go out and tell our stories. You've got to tell people the story of Jesus because it matters. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Some of you, you've got to ask forgiveness because you have let the passion for the lost die. You have lost Jesus' heart. And this isn't something to be ashamed about. It's something to change, to light a fire inside of you, to spark it up. You can do that by reminding you of the grace that you have been given to stop viewing people as labels, but viewing people as loved sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And the reality is if they don't know him, they will spend eternity apart from him. And if you can't always spark yourself. I get it, so you need to be part of a team. You need to go out into the lobby to the table and sign up to volunteer today. If you are not volunteering now, you need to be on a team that does. Because guess what? We don't have people here who change diapers. We don't have people here who make coffee. We don't have people here who shake hands and clean. You know what we have? We have people here who set up a place to pursue one more. See, their mission is greater than what their hands are doing. They're looking forward and they're relentless about it. That is the only way you're getting me to change a diaper. Is that's my kids or it helps somebody else know Jesus. So you need to spark yourself up. And some of you need to start giving and investing in this. You need to be obedient to the call to be generous with your finances and to invest as all of us together relentlessly pursue just one more and then one more and then one more and then one more. I want to return to these chairs. This chair is just pathetic. It's terrible. It's not really a chair. It's a seat as more as like it's a slide. Like, it, I'm a little scared. Like, that was scary for me. Well, why do we keep it? Why do we keep this thing? Well, part of it is when you're a church plant. Nothing's too broken. Nothing's too far gone to not have a purpose, right? Like, but now... It reminds us that nobody is too broken. Nobody is too far gone to be loved and to serve a purpose. It reminds us of that. I love life, church. Because so many of us, we sit on the edge of our seats waiting for someone to come in, waiting for someone to go after them. I want to take you back to that man. And if you look in Mark and you hear the same story, some interesting things happens. But where did we leave him? Do you remember? He was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was sitting with him, 
clothed and in his right mind. I just imagine that moment is so serene. And do you know what happens? He looks at Jesus and he asks to go with him. And you know what Jesus says? No. No. You can't go with me. What? See, all the while I'm reading the story of Jesus and it kept saying, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And this man says, I want to follow you. And you know what he says? He says, no. Go to the Decapolis. Go back to where you came from and tell them everything that God has done for you. Often so many of us, we want to sit at the feet of Jesus. And far from being on the edge of our seat, we lean back. Is it good to encounter Jesus? Absolutely. Is it good to sit at his feet? I do it every day. But we miss the call of Jesus not to sit at his feet, but to go, to pursue one more. Jesus did all that to pursue one more, one more person. What you don't know is that the city that rejected him the whole city who rejected him said, you can't be here, that Jesus came back to the Decapolis. But this man had been there. This man had been talking to people. This man had been telling people and showing them, look, I'm changed, I'm transformed, things are different. And 4,000 people came out to find Jesus, to listen to him, to hear from him. See, it's not one more. It's never just one more. That one more life, you have no idea the impact that it can have. You don't understand, but you can go after one more. You can go after one more. You can keep going after one more. See, who was the one more? Who pursued Martin Luther? Who pursued Martin Luther King Jr.? Who pursued Charles Wesley? Who pursued whoever you can think of? What kind of impact did that one more make? I don't know if you can measure it, but I do know that there was one person who pursued Billy Graham, and Billy Graham once preached live to one million people live in China. It probably will never happen again. Ever because of technology. One million people, one person. You never understand the impact that that one more can make for me, for you. This is powerful beyond imagining. So we will relentlessly pursue one more and one more and one more and one more. Here's what I want you to do. Look around you at the empty seats. I want you to find an empty seat in your mind. Look at it. Don't look at me anymore. You're all looking at me. I still see you. Look at an empty seat. Come on, look at one, just stare at it for a while. It's awkward, it's okay. Now, I want you to put a name to it. Who's the person who needs to be here? And not just here, but who do you need to pursue? Put a name to it and say, I'm going to relentlessly pursue this person like Jesus pursued me. And as we do this, we will keep the heart of Jesus. Will you stand with me? For some of us in this room, this is your chance to be a one more, that we have relentlessly pursued you, that we have come after you. We've done so much just to see you that I think about you. In this moment, we do every single service, and this is the moment where I invite people to know Jesus it's the moment where Jesus who got into the boat went across for the one person and then went back. It's the moment where you can choose to follow him. And what we know is that people give their lives to Jesus every single weekend and this is yours. And so what I want you to do is talk to God. You need to have a conversation with him. 
and you need to change your life through Jesus. You need to be set free to be rescued. A community had no hope for this demon-possessed man, and you may feel like you have no hope, but Jesus sees you and says that you are worthy and worth it. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to say it so that you can repeat after me out loud or in your heart, but really I'm just helping you talk to God. It's not magical. I'm not doing it. You're doing it. You're speaking to God. He's acting on your behalf. So let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads and realize that Holy Spirit is here, that God is here, and you can repeat this out loud or in your heart with me. Make this your prayer to God. God, I'm, I'm broken. God, I, I don't feel a purpose in my life, but I believe there could be. I believe that there's more, and I believe it's through knowing you. I also know that I can't be fully connected to you unless someone intervenes. And I see the heart of Jesus for the lost one, the one that was separate. And so I believe Jesus wants to save me, to connect me to you. So I choose Jesus. I choose to follow him for the rest of my days. I choose to be made clean by him, to be made new. And to sit with my right and my right mind at the feet of Jesus. And then, God, I will go and relentlessly pursue one more so that they can find the same hope that I have found in you, Jesus, my Savior, my Lord. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below, and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.